Uh, if you go out to the uh, to Sydney Airport to meet someone famous, who would that be? If you had to go out to the airport, who would you want to meet? What, who would drag you out there through all the crowds? You're probably going to mention some people I don't know, but I'm just wondering, is there anyone that you would go out to see? Dale. <laughs> That's a really good answer. I mean, I'll tell you what, if, 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 if no one else would go out to pick up Dale, I'd go out to pick her up as well. Uh, my guess is that if the famous person who was uh, going to turn up at the airport was Xi Jinping or Joe Biden, uh, the two most powerful people in the world, there's a very good chance that you just wouldn't bother. Uh, the most powerful man in Australia, Albo, uh, was a couple of suburbs away last month. H how many of you went out to see him? He was just over in Leichhardt. OK, well, that'll do. But, you know, we don't tend to uh, go out looking for famous people. Uh, perhaps if you're very young and there's a, uh, a band or some celebrity coming, you might. But by and large, we don't tend to do that. We're so familiar uh, with famous people through uh, our access to the media and social media. But if I knew that Jesus was flying into Sydney Airport on a cloud today, I would not miss that for the world. I reckon if the two billion Christians in the world knew that Jesus was returning today, they'd go out to see him. But I can't think of anyone else arriving by plane, boat or foot who would drag me through the crowds to see him or her. But, we're told, a large crowd gathered to greet Jesus when he entered Jerusalem for the last time. They greeted him with shouts of Hosanna and with a welcome carpet of cloaks and palm fronds. The traditional Bible reading for, day, for Palm Sunday is one of the gospel accounts of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem five days before he was crucified. But we've looked at them every year for the last five years and I thought today it would be good to think more specifically about why the crowds gathered and who they hoped to see. And you've already sung that. The first song was all about that. Waymaker, miracle worker. Uh, that's what they were going out to see. Uh, our second Bible reading, however, takes us further into this. Uh, it takes us into some of the teaching of Jesus as to who he is and, uh, and what, he was, uh, what he had planned uh, to do. Jesus had appointed his 12 apostles and entered someone's house, probably in Capernaum, uh, where Jesus based, was based, based for most of his public ministry. Large crowds gathered. Uh, there were so many, he and his disciples were unable to eat. His family went to see him and asked him if he was out of his mind. And, and if you ever wonder if the gospel accounts are true or made up, I think this is another argument that they're not made up. Because who would make up a detail like this? His family thought he was out of his mind. That, that's hardly a, a strong endorsement. Uh, his family recognised the change in Jesus from his days growing up and working as a carpenter in Nazareth. 
I, I guess it's hard when your brother or son suddenly becomes famous. Uh, it can create feelings of doubt or envy. Teachers of the Jewish law travelled from Jerusalem. Uh, the fastest mode of transport back then was a horse, and that would have taken at least two days if you counted most of the way. More likely, they went on foot or donkey, and were, we're talking about four to five days' journey from Jerusalem to Capernaum, and then the same time back. Uh, it's got to be pretty important to make a journey of that length. If I had to walk to Newcastle to do part of my job, I'd only do it if it really needed to be done. And when the lawyers got there, like Jesus' family, they also had doubts. And it's important to see that they did not doubt what he was doing. They accepted and acknowledged that Jesus was driving out demons. There was just no doubt about that. Now, some today believe there are no evil spirits, so they doubt that Jesus could be master of them all. But you don't hear these Jerusalem lawyers saying, there's no such thing as a demon, or no, Jesus is powerless against the forces of darkness. His powers are not in question, just their source. And the teachers of the Lord said, he is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons he is driving out demons. Beelzebul or Beelzebub it is an unusual name. It's a name derived from a Philistine god and uh, means Lord of the Flies. I have to say that Jesus' response used to confuse me. And I know having taught this recently in a Bible study, uh, it confuses others. Jesus doesn't say, no, I'm not Beelzebul, and I don't worship him, and I have received no power from him. Jesus does not say, I have the power of God, not the power of Satan. Jesus instead takes the opportunity to show how stupid and illogical the lawyer's argument is. You expect lawyers to know what they are talking about, but Jesus shows that they are talking rubbish. He starts with a, a simple statement that is actually sufficient in itself. How can Satan drive out Satan? In other words, demons do the work of Satan. Why would Satan give power to limit his power? And Jesus is having fun. I had a great day yesterday, actually. I'm in mid-May I'm preaching on does God have a sense of humour and uh, looking at some of the humour in the Old Testament and some of the humour in the New Testament and Jesus really does have fun. Uh, he uses sarcasm here to ridicule his opponents. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. We know this. If a political party is deeply divided, we will not elect it. We will not expect it to form a capable government, even by the low standards we are used to. You wouldn't expect much from your staff here if we were divided. Just so they don't miss their stupidity, Jesus lumps another withering comparison on them. 
If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. And you can just visualise it, can't you? Jesus always uses visual images. You know, a house that's split in two, it's going to fall down. Uh, This is what this church used to be like. That back wall was falling outwards. And they had to put metal rods up in the roof to to pull it together. Uh, This house is no longer divided, I'm glad to say. Well, so far, so good. We get what Jesus is saying. It can't be demonic power that enables him to drive out demons. But then he goes one step further. He uses another parable to ram home his criticism of the lawyer's claim. And, And it's here that we may come unstuck. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying them up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. And just as we're trying to sort out who the strong man is and who is doing the tying up, Jesus hits us with another argument that that isn't easy either. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. Who, who was talking about blasphemy? And why has that come up? And who mentioned forgiveness of sins? And what is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? And whoa! Why go for the nuclear option and claim you're guilty? that some are guilty of eternal sin. Uh, Is Jesus just having a a bad day at the office? Well, many people today just shake their heads and say, quite understandably, uh, I just don't get this. Or, I get the vibe, but uh, I really don't understand it all. And that's a pity. Because if we miss what Jesus is saying here, We really miss why large crowds came out to greet Jesus when he entered Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday. We miss the enormity of what Jesus is actually saying about himself. We like it when Jesus' teaching is clear or he's healing people. But sometimes he goes a bit over the top. And that leaves us a little bewildered. Uh, Is there room in our view of Jesus for that heavens opening at his baptism or the transfiguration and God speaking in an audible voice? It's a bit weird. Yes, and let's just take a little bit of time with these three verses so that we can be amazed by what Jesus is actually saying about himself. Because if we get that and the power he says he has... We need no one else. We know we are on the right side and Jesus will see us safe into his kingdom, the kingdom where he is God. And we will know why the crowds came out to greet him and why, as Colin said, we should greet him and welcome him into our hearts. So, first sentence. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house. I'll go back. without first tying him up. 
Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Okay, so who is the strong man and who is doing the tying up? Get that and we get what this is all about. We can think of Satan causing confusion, tying people up as he did with Adam and Eve, questioning if God really meant them to not eat the forbidden fruit and know good and evil. And we can think of Jesus as being strong. He stands up for his opponents. He calms storms. And we don't really think of Jesus going around tying people up and plundering their houses. So maybe Jesus is the strong man and Satan is doing the tying up and plundering. But that doesn't really fit with the rest of the story, does it? About Jesus is, uh, Satan is the one with the divided house and weak and vulnerable kingdom. So it's the other way around. Satan is the one who thinks he is the strong man, the great deceiver, the one who ties people in knots with his temptations to sin and the frustration he pours on our heads. And Jesus is saying he, Jesus, is the one who has all the power he needs to enter into anywhere Satan is and to tie him up and plunder all he has. Jesus has the real power. Satan is nothing before him. And that is the power Jesus is unequivocally claiming he has. And that is who Jesus is saying he is. He has more than the powers of a demon or any human being. He has the power of God to defeat and destroy evil. And as we see on the cross, the power to defeat and destroy the last best weapon of Satan, death itself. So have we got that Satan is the strong man and Jesus is the one who can defeat him? Because that's where we start. Okay, the next verse. Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. Why is Jesus talking about forgiving sins? Because Jesus has not only healed people he's, and driven out demons. When confronted by the faith of the paralysed man, as Alex talked to us about a couple of weeks ago, Jesus claimed the power to forgive sins. If you think about it, that is a power greater than any power that Satan claims for himself. Satan can tempt us to sin. He can lead us away from Jesus. But even he doesn't claim the divine power to forgive sins. But now Satan is confronted by one who can defeat even sin. Jesus can exercise the divine power of God to forgive sins, to wipe them out so that God remembers them no more, to wipe the slate clean. Well, Satan doesn't have that power. Jesus does. Jesus has the power to take away the last pretenses to power that Satan may have. If sin has no hold on us, Satan has no power left. Whatever our sins and blasphemies, whatever selfish thoughts we have, whatever stupid things we say and do, none will be counted against us because of Jesus' power to forgive us. Okay, last step. 
But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. I think this is easy. I know it looks difficult, but I don't think it is. What's the most important thing the Holy Spirit does for us? Okay, the gifts of the Spirit are are really good. We, We can't do them for ourselves. But what is the most important thing? It is the supreme work of the Holy Spirit to lead us to God, to let us say and believe that Jesus is our Lord and Saviour. It's not something we can do on our own. It's the work of the Holy Spirit, a miracle in each of our lives. Each one of you who trusts Jesus is a miracle wrought by the Holy Spirit. And if you don't yet trust Jesus... I'm sure you know that it would be a miracle for you to do so. It's a miracle that can happen by the work of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that the Holy Spirit is at work here today, convincing you that Jesus is the one that you should follow. And to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to say, no thanks, I'll do it my way. I don't need your help. And I know many of us have done that. I did it for my first 30 years of life. But there is a a universal, eternal tone and dimension to what Jesus is saying here. He's not talking about when we have a bad day or a bad decade. He's talking about where we end up and when we face Jesus on Judgment Day. Do we love and trust him? Do we rely on his forgiveness? Or do we go with the strong man who is a shaky house in a divided kingdom and has been tied up and robbed of all his power? And it is the Holy Spirit that opens our eyes to see the value of what Jesus is offering. The choice is there for us all. Jesus or Satan. Choose rightly, choose Jesus and his kingdom, and we are right. And we can wave our palm leaves and throw our cloaks before him and marvel at this mighty king and the way that he is fulfilling all the promises made in the Old Testament as he rides a humble donkey into Jerusalem. Or we can do the other thing and live with our unforgiven sins forever. Jesus entering Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday is not like when the Queen visited Sydney for the first time in 1954. Then a million people, half the population of Sydney, turned out to see her. It's not like when a famous entertainer comes with a series of concerts or when sporting stars are given a ticker tape parade through our streets after a successful Olympics or, or world championship or that ultimate miracle, the bunnies win a, champion, uh, a premiership. For 2,000 years later, Jesus is still able to drive out demons and defeat Satan and forgive our sins. And it's totally worthy of our love and trust. 
So the Jesus that we meet in our stories today is the reason that on the first Palm Sunday, the crowds gathered and it's who they hoped to see. But we know that on the following Friday, practically all of his followers had slipped away. His disciples, except perhaps for one, a few women. Uh, And the challenge for us today is not just to sit here and wave our palm trees and shout Hosanna. It's to be at the cross where our salvation is won for us. Well, let's now stand and sing our Hosannas. For God, Jesus really is worthy of our praise.